Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And welcome into the hard count. If you were paying attention yesterday... We had our final rankings for us here on the class of 2024, and that means our final five stars are out for y'all to debate on and talk about and maybe even brag a little bit about. But I'll tell you one thing, Charles Power, Cody Belair, the people that oversee the rankings and scouting for us here at On3, they don't miss. Just go ahead and check the NFL draft numbers. Like I said, welcome into the hard count. This is the People's College Football Show. It is a great day to be alive. January 30th, 2024, the last one on the face of this planet. Going to make it a great one. Auburn Tiger fans, you got a new D.C. If you stayed up till the wee hours of the morning on the East Coast, or I guess if you were up till close to midnight Central time, then you saw that the Tigers hired D.J. Durkin. How do you feel about that? How do we feel about that right here on this show? We think actually it's a good hire. We think it says more about Hugh Freeze and the direction that he believes Auburn is headed and the direction that he has Auburn headed rather is uh, probably the more important thing for us to unpack there. Speaking of new directions, Michigan fans, since the last time we got to talk in person, you got a new head coach, Sharon Moore is the new head coach at Michigan. And I think this was the right move. We talked about it being the right move for a long time on this show. But I want us to unpack a little bit what the future holds, because that was fun to talk about who they might hire. We did the whole discussion around Brian Kelly and why that wasn't the right way to go. But now the job starts. Like already you're faced with some crucial hires. Shromore actually has already made a crucial hire for his staff since being named the new head coach in Ann Arbor. We'll talk about that in the path forward for the good folks over there in Wolverine country. Also, Texas. There's been a lot said recently about a certain gesture that opposing fan bases have made with their hands, a certain gesture that during this season actually lands you a, a penalty. How do, how do Texas fans actually feel about that? Because I don't really think Texas fans care all that much about the horns down thing, but we'll talk about that and try and unpack the psychology, if you will, of what goes, goes into uh, the whole horns down deal out there in Austin. Glad to have you all a part of this. If you're just finding this show, welcome. You found it because you love college football. We love college football. This is college football junkie season. Now we say junkie with the most endearing verbiage attached to that, meaning this is the part of the year where a lot of folks move on to college basketball or to NBA or, or to the NFL. And we actually uh, participated in watching some NFL for the first time this past weekend, and we were uh, glad to see those, those final four teams play. But the bottom line here is college football does not stop. We're fortunate to have a show because it doesn't stop. And this is a place where we continue to talk about college football, whether they're playing games, whether they're not playing games. This show continues to run year round, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern. So make sure to dial in so you don't miss a minute of what we got going on right here. Also, make sure you're following me on the social channels at Jody Paquel, Twitter and Instagram, the best place for us to interact when we're not currently live on the air. Also, some content over there that we don't necessarily do on this platform in a live capacity would encourage you to be dialed in. We appreciate y'all for that. So we're about to get to this Auburn uh, hire they made last night. Before we get to that, though, I want us to, uh, to have a conversation really quickly as we head into this part of the year. Because this is a part of the year now where, to be honest, like, a lot of folks leave college football content. They you know, start to consume other sports content. We appreciate that, and we, and we understand that's something you got to do. But with that being said, some, some things in this space become a little bit more desperate, and you start seeing some more wild takes, some more things that people say that they don't believe. And that's not me here pointing the finger at any particular outlet or any particular show. I'm just saying we all understand this is the part of the year where things get a little bit outrageous. So this is our promise to you that we will only say what we mean on this show. We will not go hunting for clicks. We will not participate in the, in the hot takes. We will not participate in trying to get y'all to tune into the show for the sake of saying something controversial. We love college football too much. We respect this sport too much to diverge from anything that is exactly what we think and what we believe to be true about this sport and about how we feel about what's going on in this sport. So all that's to say, we're giving you our 
raw, unfiltered take on things in the college football landscape. And that's how it's going to be every single day on this show as long as this show exists. So make sure you're locked in here. Make sure you're subscribed. we got a lot to jump into. Let's keep a good thing going now. Auburn made a D.C. hire last night. D.J. Durkin, who was most recently in College Station running the defense for Texas A&M, has been named the defensive coordinator. Now, from a you know micro standpoint, I think this is a good hire. Like when you look at DJ Durkin uh, and what happened at Texas A&M the last couple of years, it wasn't because the defense was lackluster is why Texas A&M under, underperformed. Uh, they had a top 20 defense in the country last season. He's been all around the country in terms of, or all around the SEC rather in terms of uh, his familiarity being a defensive coordinator in the SEC. Uh, he had the first rush defense in the SEC last season. They were third in total defense. The, the main sentiment I want to get to here is I think this hire for Auburn is a really high floor hire. DJ Durkin won't walk into any situation as the defensive coordinator at Auburn and be overwhelmed or feel underprepared or anything like that. Like you made a really strong high floor kind of hire. And I think that's great. And I think a lot of this too will be predicated on the kind of personnel Auburn has going forward. And I think that's going to kind of dictate what kind of defense they have going forward. But DJ Durkin, you're in very capable, steady hands if you're a fan of defensive football in Auburn, Alabama. But what really came to mind when I first saw this hire made by Hugh Freeze is kind of a sentiment we've seen now a couple of different times throughout this offseason when it comes to Auburn. Hugh Freeze is continuing to send the message to his football program and to the fan base, what we did here previously is not good enough. It's not good enough. Period. Mike drop the end. What we expect to get done here, we are not putting in the proper efforts or proper processes in place to get to where we want to go. And I think for Hugh Freeze, it would have been really easy to sit back on last year's progress and call it just that. Hey, progress from five and seven the year before to six and six this upcoming year. And now going into the future, we're going to just build on that foundation we have. Got some good things in place. Got to let it bake a little bit more. And I don't think anybody would have pushed back tremendously hard against that. You always have folks that are asking for changes to be made across the, you know, the, the landscape in college football when it comes to underachieving at certain levels. But like nobody would have blamed Hugh Freeze if he kept that staff in a large part similar to how it looked this past year. But Hugh Freeze says, you know what? We had flashes against Auburn or against Auburn. We have flashes uh, at Auburn against uh, Georgia, against Alabama, those home games against those teams. Great. It's a good showing. Not good enough. Nope, not good enough. So guess what? I'm going to call the plays now. I'm going to take it upon myself as an offensive guy, given my background, I'm going to be the one that allows us to be successful or the reason why we fail. I'm taking it on me. Not good enough what we did play calling last year. We're going to be better. I'm running the show. Look at the defense. Defense didn't have the worst showing in the world last year. Ron Roberts coached a lot of football. They allowed right around 23 points a game. It's not bad, but Hugh Freeze again saying, nope, not good enough. We expect to compete for championships here. DJ Durkin has coached a lot of football as well, has been around the block in the SEC. We're bringing him in to run the show to elevate our defense. That's fine. You had 20 points a game last year. Not good enough. We're moving the needle. This thing's going one way. You look at the roster. Brought in a lot of players this past season via the transfer portal. Over 20, that is. Already to this point in the year, we've seen them go and attack the portal and bring in nine players via the transfer portal. Coach is making some nice moves on the recruiting trail right around, you know, that, that top 10 range when it comes to how they're attacking right now on the, on the high school level continues to say, nope, not good enough. The roster talent has to be top tier. We expect to win SEC championships. We're not settling for eight wins. We're not settling for nine wins. We are looking to bring home hardware. In order to do that, we have to be better in every facet of the game. So if I'm an Auburn fan, I appreciate the sense of urgency. I appreciate the desire from my head coach to say, we expect this kind of output. And if we're not getting this kind of output, then we got to change the input immediately. It's not a thing where we wait one to two years and hope that it eventually gels. Like, we're, we're doing this now. We're doing this now. We're making it happen right now. The consistent effort to emphasize what Auburn is about by Hugh Freeze is once again embodied in this hire. It was embodied by him taking over play calling. It's embodied by how they attack the portal. It's embodied by how they're recruiting at the high school level. They expect to win championships. And that's what they're capable of at Auburn. That's what they can do at Auburn. And I think Hugh Freeze, the way that he's attacking right now, continues to send that message. Now, going back to what I said a second ago, the roster ultimately in SEC play will be the difference. Why was Georgia 
consistently one of the big dogs in the SEC? Why has Alabama been so good in the SEC? Yes, they've got great coaches. Kirby Smart, one of the best in the game. Nick Saban, the best of all time. But why those teams have won the SEC has been because of what they have on that roster. They have both recruited at a top two level, it feels like, just about every single year. Bottom line, you got to have the Jimmys and the Joes. So all that's to say, I would expect Auburn to continue to be active in the portal, and especially in the second spring portal window or the second portal window after spring football, that is. I think you'll see Auburn and Hugh Freeze once again say, well, what we had in spring practice, that was good. Is that championship level? Is that good enough for what we're asking for? I think that they'll be active if they have the right guys available in the portal and the right guys that can help them. Because we had Hugh Freeze on this show a season ago, and right around, I guess it was post-spring football, we asked him, hey, what's the approach to the portal? How do y'all go about doing that? And he's like, listen, anybody that can help us at Auburn, we will bring them in. And he named a couple of specific positions, but he made it very clear, like, listen, we are trying to up the talent level of our roster. We don't care what position. We have some specific positions we'll go after, but you know we're trying to up this thing as a whole from a talent level. So all that's to say, man, Auburn, this second portal window, I expect them to be aggressive. And Hugh Freeze as a whole has been aggressive in him hiring DJ Durkin to be his new defensive coordinator is another step in the right direction, I believe, of Auburn pushing the envelope and saying, nope, not good enough. We expect to win some hardware. So that was, I thought that was interesting that they made a hire of that capacity. I thought it was interesting that DJ Durkin was available. Um, I thought it was interesting that Auburn continues to trend this way. Because I'll tell you what, man, resources and with this expanded playoff, I think Auburn's going to be in position to compete for some hardware here. And I don't think it's going to take quite as long as some people expect. Now, a big part of this too, at the quarterback position, do they go after a quarterback in the portal in the second window? Curious to see. Peyton Thorne, if you had the season start today, you'd expect to be your guy, but I wonder. You just wonder if the right guy jumps in there, if they might go after him. So we'll see what happens there. Appreciate everybody dialed in live. You can like the video. We'd appreciate that tremendously. Glad to have you all in here on a Tuesday. Again, we are live three times a week now. So tomorrow morning, 11 a.m. Eastern, and Thursday morning, 11 a.m. Eastern, we're talking college football, and only college football now. So we appreciate you all being locked in for that. Let's get right to this now. Uh, since we spoke last Thursday in a live capacity. Friday night, you got home from work, you sat down on the couch, you probably turned on a Netflix show, maybe you're out at dinner, and Sharon Moore was named the new head coach at Michigan. Now, the timing of this was, I don't know if surprising is the right word, it was unexpected because we were told now there is a seven-day waiting period by the state of Michigan for that job that has to be posted before you can go and fill it. Now, obviously, Michigan was able to bypass that, and Sharon Moore becomes the next head coach. So we have this celebration over the weekend, and everyone's happy that, hey, they named the right guy the head coach. We had been saying for a long time on this show, Sharon Moore is your guy. I mean, I think we said that even before Jim Harbaugh took the job at the Chargers. Sharon Moore is your guy. Now, however, you enter into this part of the, uh, the Sharon Moore experience where there's some, some moves that have to be made. So we'll talk about all that. We'll talk about the decision to hire Sharon Moore as well. But before we get to that, make sure you're subscribed to the On3 YouTube channel, Michigan fans. We've had a lot of y'all join the party. A lot of people watching this show live right now, but if you're not watching the show live right now, you're watching this as a one-off clip. We're live three times a week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern. Want y'all a part of that. So we appreciate y'all being dialed in in advance. Thank you. So as I was saying, we always thought Sharon Moore was the best guy for the job. And to be honest, like life in general, it's about making the best choices with the information that you have. Like, what is Sharon Moore going to be in two years as a head football coach at Michigan? We don't know. We're not sure yet. But given the information you have, you knew that he's someone the players had bought into. You knew he was 4-0 as a head coach this past year, including a win over Ohio State as your head coach. You knew that he was a good recruiter. You knew that he'd been around, had a front row seat to a national championship run, and played a pretty integral part in that in his role as the O.C., you knew what you knew about Sharon Moore. You have a lot of intel on who he is as your head coach at Michigan. Now, you hire somebody else from the outside. You can do an interview. You can sit down and talk ball with them. You can talk philosophy. But you've actually seen Sharon Moore do this job. He's been in the building. Also worth noting, Sharon Moore, uh, he has been exposed to that secret sauce. And I put out a tweet as soon as this hire was made in Ann Arbor and said, okay, Sharon Moore being hired as your head coach, that guarantees that championship recipe is going to be intact. 
Now, notice what I didn't say. I didn't say that championship recipe, those championship results are 100% just teed up to happen yet again. Michigan, they'll be national champs next year. Run it back. I didn't say that. But I do think the way that they did things matters. Sherman Moore being able to be a part of the way they did things, playing a big role in the way they did things, that matters. Now, what I would say is, again, the recipe and results are different things. So to get the results that he wants to get, I think Sharon Moore will have to make it a Michigan Sharon Moore team. Not a Jim Harbaugh team that Sharon Moore coaches, but a Sharon Moore's Michigan team. Now, some people saw this higher, and it's probably the minority, but some people saw this higher and said, I mean, he hasn't really even been a head coach before. I mean, if there was other big jobs that opened up, let's say, you know, another P5 job opened up tomorrow, I guess P4 job opened up tomorrow. Would Sharon Moore's name be in the mix for that? Maybe, maybe not. So some people think, maybe, hey, it's, it's a risk to hire Sharon Moore. Some would say that. I don't think you're overwhelmingly wrong in saying there's a risk in hiring him. There's a risk in hiring anybody. But think about it this way. I think there's a greater risk in not hiring him. Because if you don't hire Sharon Moore, I think you risk a reset in 2024. And when I say reset, I mean you very, very clearly run the risk of having happened what happened to Alabama, what happened at Washington, in the sense that you just decimate your roster. If anybody besides Sharon Moore had been named head coach, there would have been a portal exodus. Now, that's not me saying that nobody's going to leave Michigan in that second portal window. People leave all the time via the portal for their own reasons. But you would have seen a high number of guys leave if you hadn't hired Sharon Moore in 2024. That's the, interme- that's the immediate impact you would have felt. The other part of this is, how many elite head coaches are there in college football? And when I say elite, I don't mean like they win 10 games every couple of years. I don't mean that they are consistently in bowl games. I mean like elite college football playoff caliber kind of coaches. I'm not telling you Sharon Moore is that, but I'm saying if you didn't hire him and you let him walk out the door after having been around a staff that just won a national championship, after being under Jim Harbaugh and having Jim Harbaugh's support to be the next head coach at Michigan, I think that means something. And I think letting him walk out the door is a greater risk than hiring him. Just so we're all on the same page there. You risk, one, let, you risk allowing one of the next great coaches, if he ends up being that, to walk out the door. Now, that's not me taking a guess at what he's going to be as a head coach, but I don't think it's overwhelmingly irresponsible to think that there's a chance that could be the case, given the way that Jim Harbaugh spoke about him and given the way that he coached this team when they went and beat Ohio State to punch their ticket to the Big Ten Championship and eventually the college football playoff. That matters. So, like I said, hiring Sharon Moore, we always felt was the right move. There's no way around it. But the thing with Sharon Moore now is uh, he has some hires to make. (laughs) Some very, very crucial hires to make, that is. And the most obvious one here is Jesse Minter. Everyone and their mama expects him to be the next DC for the LA Chargers. Rest in peace, San Diego Chargers. But he'll be probably the next uh, DC for the LA Chargers. And that's going to get a lot of buzz. That'll get a lot of notoriety. But here's something that happened that uh, maybe didn't get as much headlineage when it comes to the college football media. Uh, they have the major challenge of replacing Ben Herbert, who was the strength and conditioning coach for Michigan. At first, thought he was going to stay at Michigan, was the early indication. Ends up taking a job with the Chargers. Hey, I mean, he's, he's going to go follow Jim Harbaugh. I mean, NFL strength coach. Like, that's, that's a hard deal to pass up. So what does Sharon Moore do but promote internally and make Justin Tress the new head of strength conditioning for Michigan? Now, the reason why we're talking about the head strength conditioning coach for Michigan so emphatically and why it's so important for us to talk about on this show right now, show me who your strength coach is. I'll show you who your football team is. Like Ben Herbert, people raved about him. Not just from the outside looking in at Michigan, but the players. The way they talked about him, the way they challenged, uh, the, the way they do things every single workout at Michigan, the way they develop them mentally, the way they push the envelope and in terms of their development. Like the way that he built this Michigan football team, Jim Harbaugh, that is, Ben Herbert had a very large part in playing. Like you look at the intangible strengths for Michigan. I mean, your your strength conditioning program is a very, very big piece of installing that into your program. Very big piece. You want to know why? Because the strength conditioning team spends the most time with your players out of the entire college football calendar than any other coach. Like during winter conditioning, you don't really have as much interaction with your position coach. You do with the strength conditioning coach. Dog days of summer, you're with that strength conditioning coach every single morning. 
Like, you see more of him than anybody else. So with that being said, they're in charge of installing that competitive DNA into who you are. Look at the competitive DNA of who Michigan's been the last couple of years. There's been no question about it. It's been superior. That's why they were who they were in a lot of ways. Disciplined, competitive, I mean, attention to detail, wouldn't beat themselves. They would feed on your mistakes. I mean, how many times do we see Michigan put their foot on the throat of their opponent and apply pressure in the fourth quarter, and that was the difference? Yes, that's the personnel. Yes, that's coaching, all those things. I think most specifically, at its very core, that's your strength and conditioning program giving you that edge to be able to apply pressure in the fourth quarter. So now with Ben Herbert leaving, it's on Justin Tress to uphold that standard at Michigan, to allow them to continue to be that bully on the block in the fourth quarter. That's a big piece of this. That's a very, very big piece of Sharon Moore's success early on at Michigan. So as much pressure is on Sharon Moore, a lot of it is also on Justin Tress. The mental and physical stamina that they've had the past couple of years is because of that strength conditioning program. So for Michigan to have sustained success, for them to go and win multiple national championships and do what they want to do in the future under Sharon Moore, I think, like I said at the top of this thing, it will have to be a Sharon Moore Michigan team it can't be a Jim Harbaugh Michigan team coached by Sharon Moore. And I'm not saying you abandon what's worked in the past. I'm not saying you switch up philosophies or switch up your scheme or any of that. If you do, you do. That's fine in the future. You got to find what works for you. But I think for Michigan, you can't chase the 2023 team and try and have the exact same way they did things and try and you know, replicate it down to the very last practice. Like It's got to be a Sharon Moore Michigan team. And the reason why I say you can't chase that 2023 team is because that's just needless pressure. Each team is its own. I mean, this is true in life as well. Like, we can't do this show how Colin Cowherd does his show. We can't do this show how Josh Pate does his show. We have to do this show how we do this show. Because if I were doing it somebody else's way, that would be faking it. That wouldn't be authentic. And people would spot that in a minute. People would spot that. Also, how do we know this? You can't do the way that, something, that someone else does something as well as they do it. Right? Like, Sharon Moore can't do Jim Harbaugh as well as Jim Harbaugh does Jim Harbaugh. So, at the end of the day, you'd be doing, at best, a silver medal impersonation of Jim Harbaugh. That's not going to win. That's definitely not going to win your national championships. And so, the authenticity that Sharon Moore and that Michigan are going to have to embody and going to have to grow into, I think that's the most key ingredient to what Michigan's going to be in the future. Because I think Sharon Moore, given his reputation as a leader, the buy-in he's created, the way he's going to recruit, the way they're going to develop, I think that's going to stay intact. I think it's going to stay intact well enough, at least, to put them in that college football playoff range year in and year out with them going to 12 teams. I feel pretty confident in saying that. But I think we need to make sure we say this, too, as we jump into the Sharon Moore era. We have to acknowledge that he's learning in the spotlight. And what I mean by that is Sharon Moore has never been a college football head coach before. Nothing wrong with that. Everyone has to have their, their first time at some point in time as a head coach if you're going to be one. But understand Sharon Moore is not, you know, taking on this, this role for the first time at a G5 institution. Like he's taking it on at one of the premier brands in the sport. So it's like, hey, you, you don't get to learn how to play in the band at the at the dive bar and eventually figure out your spot like no no no. hey congratulations it's your first time playing the guitar well figure out the grand old opry that's that's what essentially what's happening right now here for sharon moore and so what i think we need to make sure we understand we're all on the same page is whatever they are in 2024 or in 2025 that's fluid like we may not see the sharon moore michigan team for like two or three years i hope you see it in year one i'd love to see it in year one but understand that like his first year as a head coach at Michigan, it may not look like what it's going to look like in 2026 or 2027. So don't be overly quick to make a firm opinion on Sharon Moore. Let's hold those kind of loosely. And uh, the way that it evolves, I'm excited to watch. Because I think the way that he's created buy-in, the way that players talk about him, the way players felt about him too, that means something. And you can't just walk in and replicate that if you're a new coach if they made an outside hire like the buy-in for Sharon Moore is real and that's what's hardest to gain you can develop you can game plan you can figure out your identity as a coach and as a team but the buy-in that he's created that's what takes years and off seasons to really develop so 
Love that Sharon Moore is the next coach at Michigan. That would have been the role that we would have, uh, or that would have been the, the play that we would have made if we were calling the shots in Ann Arbor. But uh, obviously, a lot of big hires left to make. They already made a big hire for their strength conditioning program. And uh, sustained success will be Sharon Moore taking over the Michigan identity in the long haul. So that's going to be fun, man. It's fun that we already have some, uh, some movement here when it comes to the coaching uh, carousel, even this early in the, in the year. Um, I don't know that we're done yet. And I say some movement. We've had a lot of movement from Nick Saban being retired to Kalen DeBoer taking the Bama job, Jed Fish at Washington. Arizona got filled, like, a lot of moves here. Um, I wonder if there isn't a couple more still left on the board when this whole NFL cycle ends up running its course. Curious to see. Hey, make sure you like the video. Make sure you subscribe. We appreciate y'all so much for that here. In just a few short minutes, going to get to some of y'all's questions, thoughts, concerns via Nick Break, the keeper of the queue. So that will be a tremendous time. Looking forward to getting to that here in just a little bit. Uh, but I don't know if y'all noticed yesterday, those of y'all that are really dialed into college football, pretty much y'all that watch this show, so y'all probably already, already noticed this, uh, the final five-star rankings came out for us here at On3 yesterday. Had a couple of new five-stars uh, earn their five-star status. Had a couple of five-stars that were already five-stars find their uh, final place. We have a new quarterback, a new top quarterback, rather, for the class of 2024, which we'll talk about here in just a second. Before we get to that, though, I want us to unpack some of these new five-stars because I think their impact they could make at the next level is enormous. Um, Charles Power and Cody Belair, the individuals that oversee scouting and rankings for us here at On3, they don't miss. Nobody's watching more ball than them. People like to disagree with their take and disagree with you know what they're saying about these prospects. And then you fast forward the tape about three or four years, look at the NFL draft, and it's like, oh, they actually kind of nailed that cycle. Yeah, they're pretty good at their job. Uh, so with that being said, let's start with one of the first new five stars, a player that jumped from 38 to 7 in our rankings, uh, Tennessee signee edge Jordan Ross. Now, Charles Power calls Jordan Ross the most complete edge of this 2024 class. Freaky athlete. All right, like freaky athlete in the sense that he is an edge defender and he has a dunk highlight reel on the basketball court. Y'all, people that big should not be able to do stuff like that. You play defensive line in the SEC. You should not be able to get up like that. Uh, trenches win trophies is what I want to make sure we say about Tennessee. And think about what Jordan Ross is being added to on that defensive line at Tennessee. A1 James Pierce went ballistic last year. Another individual that Charles was extremely high on coming out of high school. He was an on-three outlier for us. I believe we had him higher than anyone else in the industry. Uh, Jordan Ross joins him. You think about those teams that win the SEC, the Bamas, the Georgias of recent, they always have freak shows on the defensive line. Guys that go play in the NFL for a long time and are wreaking havoc already at this point early in their career, uh, Jalen Carter comes to mind. I know he's a defensive tackle, but you think about guys like that, that those teams have had. Will Anderson, another one at Alabama. Like You have those kind of playmakers on the edge to set the tone for you. You have a chance to win some hardware. I think the fact that they have James Pierce and Jordan Ross is going to be headaches for years to come for their opposition in the SEC. Now, speaking of uh, new five stars, a player that jumped from 33 to 13 in these final rankings, a new five-star Clemson wide receiver signee, TJ Moore, another player that Charles was well ahead of the game on in terms of evaluating to me, T.J. Moore feels like he could kind of bring that playmaker element back to the wide receiver room at Clemson. Because we think about Clemson and when they were winning national championships, they had those high-profile guys. You know, you had guys that could stretch the field, go win jump balls for you. Like we thought of Clemson for a minute at least, kind of like a, in, in the wide receiver U conversation. T.J. Moore, I think, is going to do a lot to bring that kind of attitude back to that wide receiver room. Six, two and a half, 195 pounds. If you watched the All-American game, you were pretty much watching the T.J. Moore highlight reel. Felt like he did whatever he wanted that day and was just dominant in every single sense. Um, if they can bring an explosive element back to that Clemson offense, something we haven't seen there in a while, if T.J. Moore can help bring that back, uh, Clemson's going to have a whole new outlook on what they are as a football team because I really believe that's one of their key ingredients they were missing in recent years. Uh, another big-time player, or another player that's going to have a big-time impact, rather, on the ACC until further notice, is a, a new five-star Florida State quarterback, Luke Cromenhawk. Now, Luke Cromenhawk is the highest-rated prospect 
at quarterback to sign with the Knowles since Jameis Winston. How wild is that? Since Jameis Winston, this is the highest rated quarterback prospect Florida State has had signed, and we think he is going to be a dog, especially once he gets some more time in Tallahassee to develop. Only started two years at the high school level at the quarterback position. So when he gets to Tallahassee, if he's able to, I don't know if redshirting is on the table for him, but if he's able to kind of just develop physically, be able to get integrated into that offense, learn from Mike Norvell, learn from the guys ahead of him, uh, we think he's going to have a great career long-term. One of the things that Charles Power loves about him, says he has one of the strongest arms in the cycle and has a really quick release. All the physical tools he has and the upside you pair with that is what gets us excited about Luke Cromenhuck. And uh, I mean, Florida State, you look at the future for them. If you have a quarterback who can play at an elite level, you have the price of admission to be elite in college football. Like I think that's sort of the world we're entering into now in the 12-team playoff. If you have a quarterback, you have a chance. We say that every single week, it feels like, on this show. But for Florida State, to have a quarterback of the future in Luke Cromanhawk should feel excited. So looking forward to see what he does in Tallahassee, but you got uh, your quarterback of the future there for the Knowles. Speaking of quarterbacks in the Sunshine State, a quarterback who is already on campus in Gainesville is quarterback DJ Lagway. Now, DJ Lagway has been a five-star but he is now the number one quarterback in the class of 2024. Took over that top spot. And I mean, in his senior year, he earned every single accolade that, that came his way because he did numbers like Goodwill Hunting on the field. I mean, he threw for over 4,500 yards, completed 72% of his passes, threw for 58 touchdowns, ran for almost 1,000 yards, had 16 rushing touchdowns, was Gatorade National Player of the Year, like dude put on a spectacle every single Friday night. The reason why this is impactful, or a bigger reason at a macro level why this is impactful for Florida, obviously you got a quarterback who's a specimen now on your roster. That's huge. But the thing that I look at long-term for Florida, and we said this in a one-off video yesterday, to me now with DJ Lagway playing quarterback for you, your offense can be as dynamic as you choose to be. Like there is no governor from a skill set perspective on your Florida offense in the future with DJ Lagway playing quarterback. If you're a play caller, you go from the mindset of, okay, what can we call as an offense to what do we want to call as an offense? The example I used yesterday is third and one. You want to, pl- you want to call quarterback design run, little quarterback power, little read option, or you want to go quick game. You want to go, you know, a slant concept. You want to go sticks across the board and just have a little five-yard hitch route. You feel good about him doing either one of those things consistently. That's the key thing, consistently. Great athlete, great build, 230 pounds, right around 6'2 and a half, 6'3. He's going to be a player for a long time. Long, long time is DJ Lagway. So him being the top quarterback in 2024, again, not a new five-star, but the fact that he took over that top spot at the quarterback position in our 2024 cycle deserves to be talked about. And uh, good vibes in Gainesville. Good vibes with him already being on campus. Promise you we'll talk a lot about him when we get to spring football. Uh, Last player I want to talk about here. We can't do a segment on the final five-star rankings without talking about the top player in the class of 2024. And that is Ohio State wide receiver Jeremiah Smith. Six foot three, 215 pounds. You ask me, just like the next great one at Ohio State. Ohio State has churned out top wide receiver prospects. It feels like every single year, Jeremiah Smith will be that next one. Make no mistake about it. Charles calls him the most advanced wide receiver prospect in years. So not just ability, but also being polished, being ready for that next level. Uh, The feeling is a player of his caliber will more than likely see the field early in Columbus. Uh, 90 receptions, almost 1,400 yards and 19 touchdowns his senior year. Y'all, that is ridiculous. That is video game numbers. He was a state champion in the 110 and 400 meter hurdles in the state of Florida. Like, I don't know if, if we're all on the same page here. Uh, they do track in the state of Florida. So if you're a state champ in not one, but two events, the hurdles much less, uh, you're pretty freakish athletically. Jeremiah Smith obviously is every bit of that. And the thing that I love about him too, when we were uh, breaking down his tape earlier before his senior season, I was watching it and like, man, this guy's this guy's feels like he could play anywhere on the field. And so I texted Charles to kind of check myself and see if I was on the right track with how he could translate to the next level. And I was like, Charles, is Jeremiah Smith a guy that you could see 
playing in the slot a little bit? Is he truly just an out, outside wide receiver guy with his size? Like, how do you see him at the next level? And Charles texted me back very succinct and says he can play anywhere at the next level. And so what that tells me, if, if you have Jeremiah Smith and you're able to put him in the slot, you're able to put him outside, you're able to kind of move him around where you see fit from a skill set perspective by nature of what you ask him to do physically, that means as an offense, you get to pick your matchup. You get to decide if you want to have him on a safety or if you want to put him on that corner. Like you don't constrict his usage to being at a specific position on the football field. So you pair that versatility with his overall just freakish athletic ability and ability as a wide receiver. Uh, good things are going to happen in Columbus and Jeremiah Smith. Like I said, I believe he's set to be the next great one for the Buckeyes at that wide receiver position. So you can check out that full final final five-star rankings for us here at On3 over at On3.com. Um, the On3 Recruits channel also has a great full in-depth breakdown of all of our five stars. Josh Newberg and Charles Power go player by player and give you their analysis and give you the reason for why they're rated where they are. But um, like I said, Charles Power, Cody Belair, they do not miss. So if you have an issue with where certain guys are ranked, I would say just let's, let's sit tight for a second. Let's see where they are when the NFL draft rolls around because the NFL draft is the truth teller here for us. We have 32 five stars because that's how we believe these players are grading out when it comes to the NFL level. So it's a projection for sure, but I'll tell you what, Charles Power and Cody Belair, nobody better at projecting in the entire industry. Feel pretty confident in saying that. And the numbers back it up. All right. Hey, we are right around 37 likes, and we have a surplus of people in the live show right now, so we appreciate you for that. Go ahead and like the video. Trying to get to 100 likes today. That would be phenomenal. So make sure you get dialed in there. We'll have a good time. And uh, we'll get to your questions here in just a minute. Now, there's something that's kind of happened over the last, I guess, two, three weeks. And it's been in the college basketball sector, but it's not a college basketball topic we're going to unpack right now. But when it, when it comes to Texas, there's a lot made around a certain gesture that the folks know as horns down. Now, if you're an Oklahoma fan, you just throw that up because you're an Oklahoma fan, and we respect it, more power to you. But I think there's sort of been uh, some confusion as to how the folks in Austin, like the, the, the true Texas fans, feel about the horns down gesture. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Rodney Terry is the head basketball coach at Texas. They lose to UCF, and UCF starts throwing up that horns down gesture, and, and, it, and Rodney, Rodney Terry, being the head coach at Texas, he got fired up. He was saying it was classless. He was yelling at UCF players saying, hey, don't do that. And I think it kind of drew a, a different reaction from the Texas fans. Like Texas fans are like, dude, come on. Just like we lost the basketball game. Like shake hands, keep it moving. And then it happened against the BYU or against BYU in basketball. You had some, some fans uh, lined up in the student section with shirts that read horns down. And I think it was the BYU faculty that came out and said, hey, take those shirts off. We don't want y'all doing that. And again, more power to BYU. They were trying to emphasize sportsmanship. But it's something that we've seen now, especially in the football world, too, where you can't throw up horns down in the Big 12, at least, during a game. That was a penalty. But again, I think there's this disconnect around how the horns down gesture is perceived at a public level and how Texas fans actually feel about it. And I tweeted it out, and I think that the Texas faithful that follow me on Twitter uh, sort of um, reaffirm my feeling on this. No Texas fans, or a very, very small portion of the Texas fan base, is actually bothered by the horns down gesture. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter to them. Is it like the ideal thing to see? Is it really like something you appreciate? Probably not. But does it get you worked up like you saw your head basketball coach get worked up? Do you think it should be a penalty during a game? I would have to believe... Over 90% of the fan base, and that's an unofficial statistic that I came up with right now in my head, I don't think anybody really feels that way, is what I'm trying to say. And I think to take it a step further, like the, the horns down gesture, if you're a Texas fan, you understand this. It only has as much power as you give it, right? Like think about it this way. When you were on the playground at recess back in grade school, kid sticks his tongue out at you. What, what would the teacher tell you to do? First, they'd probably tell that kid, hey, knock it off. But what would they tell you to do? Say, just ignore it. Just ignore it. They just want attention. They're just trying to get in your head. Just ignore it. And so if you ignored that kid sticking their tongue out at you long enough, what would happen? They would get bored. They would realize it has no impact, and they would just move on. And so I think Texas fans, from what I've been able to gather, 
seeing their head coach get upset about it and seeing folks have an issue with, you know, people throwing up the horns down or the Big 12 making the penalty. They're like, hey, stop, stop, stop doing that. And when I say stop doing that, I'm not talking about the horns down gesture. I think they're saying, hey, stop doing that. Stop making us look soft by making us look like we're upset about that. Like, I think most Texas fans are like, hey, bring it on. Bring it on. We're all about that because it comes with the territory with college sports. And going back to what I just said, they don't like the fact that it makes them look soft because it kind of reemphasizes what I think a lot of people already publicly believe about Texas. Hey, they think they're better than everybody else. They're kind of a pinkies up operation there. They just kind of think their brand is superior. So they, they deserve, you know, certain things that other college fan bases don't, including a certain penalty if you throw up their hand gesture in a downward motion. Like Texas fans, I think, again, the majority of them do not feel strongly that that's like a disrespectful thing. I think most of them are like, again, hey, just like let it roll. Like that kid on the playground, just ignore them. Some fans, I think, take it a step further and they're like, all right, well, if you are throwing up the horns down, you must be thinking about us a lot. And that's the other part of this too. Like as much responsibility is on Texas to adequately respond or appropriately respond to folks throwing up the horns down gesture, there's also the same amount of responsibility to a certain fan base throwing up the horns down gesture if you're not playing against Texas. Like at that point, I think you do reemphasize the feeling that, hey, Texas is on your mind when you throw up the horns down gesture but you're not playing them? Like, why, why do they have that much real estate in your head? So there's responsibility on both sides. But again, there is much worse things said during the heat of competition. There is much worse um, gestures made during the heat of competition, as we've seen throughout different points in the college football world. Texas fans don't want you coming to their aid. Texas fans don't want you giving the opposition a penalty because it makes them look soft, it makes them look like they can't handle themselves. So I just wanted us to kind of have a meetup on that. I kind of wanted us to just... Uh, discuss how I think the college football fans feel about the horns down stuff going on. Very, very few Texas fans have I met in my life that are actually like, yeah, that horns down thing, that just, that ticks me off. I just don't know how to act whenever I see the horns down. So it's coming in the SEC, I promise you. In the SEC, there will be a, there will be a fair amount of that. And I think Texas will, uh, those that are bothered by it, in for a, a rude awakening and those that are not bothered by it uh, they will no longer be getting their uh, treatment that they desire to not have so with that being said that's where that's what's coming for texas just so we're all on the same page there and i think texas fans are just fine with that uh, hey everyone tuned in live we appreciate you make sure you like the video we're about to get to y'all's questions concerns takes and all that coming from none other than the man in charge of producing the entire operation. Heavy lift extraordinaire, Nick Brake. Nick, what's going on, baby? How we doing today? So, JD, how you doing, buddy? Dude, I'm good, man. I'm good. We got a good, good crowd today for a, for a Tuesday out here in almost almost February, like January 30th, man. We still got the junkies locked in with us, so we love that. We yep. appreciate that, and uh, vibes are high over here, man. What's 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 going on in the chat, man? We got anything anything buzzing in there? Yeah, um, so I'll go get to Ferris Khan first because Ferris put in a, a good word for everyone to like the video. Mm. Um, says, why should the Big Ten teams like Michigan play tough out-of-conference opponents like Texas and Oklahoma anymore? Which is uh, what's obviously going on next season. Yeah, that's absolutely fair. Um, I think we're at this point now where playing a tough non-conference in some ways used to be a risk. Because if you won that game, hey, huge resume boost. But if you lost that game and it came down to the college football playoff and there's only four teams that get in, you're like, well, they did lose that one game. And you're like, are you serious? We played Alabama. And we, and, and we played them to a three-point loss. And that's, we're getting penalized for that? That should say actually good things about us. I think we're moving into the era now in the 12-team playoff where if you have a 9-3 and three record, but those three losses are all to like top 10 teams, I think we're in a day and age where that's going to be to your advantage. Now, it's never to your advantage to lose, but I do think player tough, playing tougher competition um, may actually be a benefit. Now, the other thing I would say about this, too, with the SEC and the Big Ten getting ridiculously harder adding the schools that they're adding, especially the Big Ten with Oregon and Washington and USC and UCLA and then Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC. So I guess there's named all the schools. Um, with the way the conference alignment is shifting, I think we're just going to get great matchups, period. And these teams are going to earn their spot in the college football playoff um, from the jump. So 
I'm not sure how we'll see this out-of-conference scheduling be, be adjusted. But I, I do think, to answer that question, I think there's still a point to it. I think there's still an advantage to it as well. Sounds good. Um, J.D. O.G. Gary's here. Uh, wants it. to talk about the Big 12 schedule that just dropped. I don't think you've probably had a chance to look at it um, since you've been, obviously, a little busy with this show. Sure. Um, we, can, we can pull it up, though. What's, yeah. what's his question there? So I just wanted you to briefly talk about it. Um, yeah. Just said, can you quickly talk about the uh, 12 schedule that was released about an hour ago? Any big games that we, you could think that might be coming out this year, J.D.? I looked at his team, Utah's schedule. It's just funny to see it. It's a lot – I mean, I would honestly say it's a lot easier than the schedule they played a year ago. I mean, honestly, Nick, my first thought was, okay, who does Colorado play? Yeah. Who yeah. does Colorado have on the yeah. books here? And They play Utah. <sighs> Dude, they got they got their work cut out for them, man. Like right now, at the time of us being live, if these rankings were to hold, got mm-hmm. a one, two, three, four. Yeah, I'm counting five ranked games for Colorado off rip. Uh oh. And I see Kansas State. They get them in Boulder. They go at Arizona, get Utah at home. They're at Kansas, Oklahoma State, and in, in, in uh in Boulder to finish the year, like. Hey, man, I know the Big Ten and the SEC is getting a lot of shine, but the Big 12 is going to be awesome. It's going to be fun. It's going to be awesome, especially if Colorado cycles up how we expect them to maybe cycle up next year. Mm-hmm. Like, if they make a bowl game, that'd be fun. If Arizona brings it like they did this past year and they're able to, you know, kind of pick up where they left off, even with losing Jed Fish, like, that's going to be some good ball, brother. Yep. That's going to be some good ball, if nothing else, some good matchups. So mm-hmm. I understand the excitement about the SEC and the Big Ten. Like, we obviously are excited about that, too, but... The Big 12 is going to be uh, a very, very fun conference next year. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe the most fun, honestly, JD. It's going to be some. It's going to be no, good, good that, juice. Yeah, very good juice. It'll be fun, uh, JD. We've got a couple questions going into NIL and recruiting. Starting with WTF craps says, "How is Elijah Rushing not higher ranked than the four or than four star in the on three 2024 class rankings?" JD, that is not something I know the answer to. Yeah, that's so. That's one of those things where I'm like, hey. I'll tell you what, Charles Power and Cody Belair, uh, if they have him as, as a four-star, uh, that already – I want to make sure I double-check and, and give us uh, the, proper, mm-hmm. the proper context for this conversation with Elijah Rushing. Um, yeah, so Elijah Rushing being a four-star, uh, just because he's not listed as a five-star per on three doesn't mean he's not going to be a really good college player. Like if Cody Belair and Charles Power have him, have him as a, a, a four-star, a top-ten edge in the class of 2024, like that's – I still really, really good. So um, I would say you're, you're splitting hairs a little bit there. And again, going back to Charles Power and Cody Belair, like nobody's doing more homework than them. They are the industry leaders. You will notice they will move first on a player and set the tone. You'll see the rest of the industry actually follow them and say, oh, actually, yeah, we are going to rank them a little bit higher because of, and I'm not saying it's, it's necessarily quite as cut and dry as that, but I, I do think they're usually the first to be on a player and to make a move on those guys and rank them accordingly. So I would say Elijah Rushing being a four-star, that's a, that's a great rating. Awesome. He's going to be a great player for Oregon. Yeah. Hey, be kind of, I'd love to be a four-star, J.D. Dude, you and me both. You and me <laughs> both. I mean, you were you in the four-star range out of high school? Well, in kicking terms. In a kicking terms, that means I'm like a half-star for a regular. No. But, you're being modest. Yeah. You're just does, being modest. They give out half-stars in kicking, too. I mean, I think that's, that's not a bad way to do it. I wouldn't be upset if they went to a half-star. Yeah. Like a four and a half star in yeah. in the like recruiting world would be great. <laughs> JD, all I'm gonna say, man, is those recruiting those were not accurate. I had the same stars as, as Jake Moody in my class, and I was watching him kick next to me. And I'm like, dude, there's no, he is not in the same universe. It as could me. have been you. It could have been you. No, Cliff no. Kingsbury. This is something that I don't know if we talked about on the show in a long time. Cliff Kingsbury recruited Nick Brake to kick for him at Texas Tech. Kickoff specialist. There's a lot right? of yeah, kickoff specialists, a lot of context. I was not a field goal kicker, I was a kickoff specialist. Legatron, um, baby. What are they gonna it, say? It was preferred you know? walk on, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go crazy. Which also also rare to spend a scholarship on a kicker. So the back to you to the PWO, like that actually mm-hmm. that's actually means something. You maybe. know? Maybe. I was a two star, Nick. <laughs> it was my only offer, JD. I was like, hey, offer's an offer, baby. Yeah. Anyway, that's it. I, I wanna make sure we said that. Yeah. Um <laughs> Hey, look, JD. Man, you're the goat. They missed out. <laughs> if if Charles, if he had only seen your tape, dude, you. That's what it stuff. was. I think my tape just got lost. It got in lost shuffle. in the mail. He gets a lot of tapes sent his way. Yeah, That's fine. he does. It worked out. Maybe for all his of us. only mistake ever. 
<laughs> I don't um, know if we call that a mistake. Mando. <laughs> yeah, I'm just kidding. Charles is the goat. Mando, ask JD, who's your surprise top 10 team next year like Missouri was this year? Ooh, surprise top 10 team. This is always fun because we're kind of at the point of the year where, like, you can kind of shoot your shot a little bit, and there's going to be so much more we learn after spring football. Um, man, that's, that's tough. There's a couple of teams that I would I would keep an eye on. I think Louisville could make a move of this thing. They've attacked the portal. I like Tyler Shuck. They could be one to watch. Um, USC, I know they got some work to do on the defensive side of the football. But if we're going to just assume that they get better on defense and Miller Moss picks up where he left off, who actually played Louisville in their bowl game, I'm, there's, there's a very big what-if factor with USC. Um, one more team that I'm curious about here, Nick, uh, in the in the long run Oh, I just forgot who it was. I mean, Tennessee could make a run, too, and be a top-10 team with Nico, like a tremendous question mark there with how good he could be. Sky's the limit for that kid. Um, Were you going to say Ole Miss? Ole Miss. See, I think Ole Miss— I don't even know if that's— See, I have them top five to start the year. Yeah, I that think, I think they're, they're a top-10 team right now. But in terms of teams that could ascend, I guess Tennessee, USC, Louisville, all ones that I would keep an eye on. Clemson mm-hmm. could bounce back, you know, if, if they're able to kind of put the th- some things together offensively. A lot, of, a lot of speculation, but I'll, I'll ride with those three to start right now, Nick. Okay, sounds good. Um, I'm going to get to this question from Brooks Bond. Got a few more to get to. Um, Ask JD a little off topic. Should NIL be relegate, or regulated excuse me, in some way, shape, or form by the NCAA, or should it stay the way it is? It's not a question again. I know the answer no, to it. No, I mean, it's a, great, it's a great question. The tough part is, like, my answer is yes, but then the question becomes how. Like, how do you regulate that kind of cash flow going to that many different players from a bunch of different people? That And some of this is, like, already information that we don't have exclusively. Like, it's not all the way, you know, regulated to begin with. So, like, should there be regulation? I believe so. I think we're moving towards that. I think on three, honestly, with NIL valuations and doing the on three NIL series is doing our part to try and regulate it as much as possible or at least add some... Uh, clarity to different aspects of NIL, but um, I mean, should it be regulated? Yeah. <laughs> uh, how are we going to regulate it? That's a great next question that I don't know the answer to. Okay. Yeah. What do you say? Two more, Nick? Let's do two more. I That's love a it. good one. Um, well, this is kind of Jared asked a very similar question to that, JD, um, but this is kind of just asking just how we do things on three. It's an, I, I don't know how easy it is to answer. Um, how are the NIL per class reported to on three? Uh, what do you what do you make of Oregon spending hundred thousand dollars per recruit less compared to the other top five? Is this real or is Nike happening in the background like with Dan Lanning? JD, what can you what can you answer with that? That what was the, what was the original question? It's essentially, uh, like how do you track who's spending? Yeah, how do we NIL? know basically? the NIL valuation stuff that we keep track of. Yeah, so the NIL valuation is measured by a bunch of different components, including performance, um, how, how you're doing on the social media side of things when it comes to influence. I mean, there, there's a lot of different factors that go into the NIL valuation. Um, and that is not specifically telling you, hey, this is how much this kid is making. That is putting a value on, hey, this is in our eyes, given the formula that we have in place, which we feel good about, that a lot of people have um, put a lot of effort into to make sure is as accurate as possible. This is what we think the market value is for a player like this. Now, there's player value. There's also roster value. There's a lot of different verbiage and, and context that goes into what players actually make on, on the you know other side of that equation. Um, but when it comes to how do you know exactly what a, what a kid is making, I think a lot of it too is like a lot of it is, is still unknown. A lot of those numbers still aren't disclosed from a very clear standpoint. Maybe that's the next step in regulation. Um, but to be honest, I think NIL is going to continue to evolve in, in a lot of ways, and that might be the next step is more clarity with, hey, this kid's on the NIL deal with this collective or this company, and he made this much money. That might be the next step. We'll see. Okay. Uh, let's end off right here. Uh, this question coming from Duddy Price. Ask JD, when Texas and Georgia play next season, will it be a game between the number one and the number two ranked teams in the country? Oh, man. That's Maybe one in so three. Awesome. That's going to be, so be so awesome. That's so cool, yep. I was thinking last night, Nick, like, there's a lot of times where I go to I go to bed and I'm lying in bed for like a solid hour and then I start to think about the show and I'm like, would this be a good segment? 
And I was like, I wonder if we just did a way too early prediction series. Like we just start just predicting these games sitting here in February and we're like, we're picking blank mm -hmm. to beat blank team. I didn't say a specific yeah, team there. Yeah, it'd be fun to do that and like rank the best matchups of the year. Oh, dude, then, it'd be awesome. I mean, that would be, I could be very easily number one. That's going to be such a good one. So they, they play in October. Um, and so by that point, Georgia will have played at Alabama. They will have played Auburn, which was not a gimme win last year. They played Mint Jordan-Hare. Uh, they'll have started the year with Clemson in Atlanta. So I think that it, it could very easily be one versus two. Texas, they had the game against Michigan, um, and they play Oklahoma the week before that. So that'll be kind of a gauntlet for them playing the rivalry game. You expect a lot of juice and a lot of emotion in that one, and then they come back home and, and play Georgia. So if I were to predict it right now, yeah, I would say that probably will be the number one, number two team. Now, again, that's me sitting here predicting a game October 19th, and we haven't seen what Auburn looks like or what Clemson looks like. But if I had to put money down today, if you asked me which way I leaned, I would say, yeah, I think that will be number one, number two. And uh, I'll cross my fingers, Nick, that we mm -hmm. uh, find our way to that one, or at least to one of the games before that with Georgia yep. playing at Bama and with Texas playing at Michigan. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, man. A lot of fun. A lot yep. of good games on the horizon, but that one will be a blockbuster and have a tremendous impact on the SEC title race. Weird to say out loud, Georgia-Texas in the SEC title race. Uh, that'll have a big, big impact on it regardless. Dave, so, you, be fun. you see the super chat? Tulsa from Brooks Bond. Thank you very much. Tulsa is going to show all the haters what's up this year. It's ring season. Shock the world, Ring baby. season, baby. Hey, the look, Canes. this playoff format Let's go. gives a little bit of life to the G5 world, to the in, in not just the G5, but to the smaller programs. Tulsa may not even be one of those teams in a few years. This is a, a program, J.D., a program. There's a program. There's, <laughs> there's, there's no way around it, man. I love it. I love that they're just calling their shot, too. I mean, hey, a G5 team has a bid. Yep. I mean, Tulsa and the American Conference now, let's see what their schedule looks like, what they got on the docket here. Uh, they play Oklahoma State, but they play Oklahoma State they got to come to Chapman Stadium, does the Cowboys. Yeah. they got to play Tulsa at That's their spot. That's wild, man. All right? That's... So, like, let's start there. Um, okay, you finish the year at UAB, at USF. Army could always be tricky defending the triple option. Uh, hey, far be it for me to tell you what can't happen as we sit here at the end of January and you call your shot for ring season. Hey, more power to you. More power to you, and uh, that's what the offseason is for, too. Lot, it's, it's for full YouTube reruns of college football games. It's for watching the hard count, and it's for calling your shot and hoping and praying and wishing and believing that your team yep. is going to win a ring. Absolutely. Isn't that right, Nick? Good it stuff, is. Man. And, J.D., really quick before I head out, Jared Stidham said, do you remember the NCAA Instant Classic rankings in your NCAA games? We need that here at, in the hard count show. Ooh, I like that. Fun. I would be all about that. Maybe next year, or maybe, heck, maybe we do the instant classic ranking mm -hmm. from 2023. Maybe we kind of keep a running tally. Yeah, that'd be fun. Top 10 games kind of deal. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I like this. That'd probably be easier for most people. I play really good defense, but I run the ball a lot, so I, and I love punting on that game. So my games went in like 17 10. That's good. Though. So I didn't have a lot of instant classics. but uh, Iowa style. Yeah, I played. <laughs> I was like Iowa, basically. That's good stuff, so, though. Uh, yeah, hey, I didn't have a lot of Battle of field position, baby. Yeah. You got to love it. You got to love it. Well, you got to love that. And you got to love Nick Brake producing the hard count, man. Always a good day. Yep. Always a good day with you on the sticks, brother. We appreciate you. Hey, same yeah. time tomorrow? Same time, same place, JD. Let's run it up. Run it up, brother. Appreciate you. Again, that's the man, Nick Brake. The people's champ, really. Program guy, extraordinaire, doing everything that you see here, making the show happen. Again, we told you all the top of this show, a lot being said in the college football world right now. Some of it great, some of it not so great, some of it just looking to get your click. I promise you, you have our word here. We will tell you only what we truly think and believe and our opinion on this show when it comes to college football. Also, it will be exclusively college football year-round. If we talk about something that's outside of college football, I promise you there will be a tie back to college football through that. So, if you want to keep up with this show, one, subscribe. That's the first and most important thing. Second, Follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at JD Pacal. The best way for us to involve you into the show tomorrow. More of your unpopular takes that you strongly believe in when it comes to the college football world. That tweet is still on my Twitter page. It's pinned on my profile. Get at me on there. Going to unpack some more of those tomorrow. Hey, it's a great day to be alive. Let's have one. We appreciate y'all. We love y'all. We're going to keep this party rolling, and we will see y'all next time.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.